Hello, and thank you for listening to The History of World War II Podcast, Episode 362, Interview with Michael Benson about his book, Gangsters vs. Nazis. Michael Benson, the author of over 60 books, which include the nonfiction crime story, Betrayal in Blood, and Who's Who in the JFK Assassination, comes on the show to discuss his latest book, Gangsters vs. Nazis, How Jewish Mobsters Battle Nazis in Wartime America. Mr. Benson, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks, Ray, for having me. Absolutely. So the very first question is, have you started shooting the movie yet? If not, why not? And if you have, can I, where are you at? And I will join you. I'll carry your luggage. I'll drive your car. This has got to be made into a movie. Oh, Ray, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Uh, of all the books I've written, and I've written maybe 80 of them. Right. Uh, not, not all of them were, were thick right. volumes. I, I wrote Essential Bowling, for example. That would not have made a good movie. But this one... Right. Out of all the books I've written, yeah, should be a motion picture. Yes. You know, what you know what would be fun to do was just to sit around and think about who you would cast for the various roles. That would be a who's who of Hollywood. But anyway, well, I, I'm yeah. envisioning a, I'm envisioning a Nazi on the stage at the Oscars. Right. And I run up. <laughs> yeah. Punch him right in the nose. No slapping. Right. Yeah. And uh, close hand. And I, yeah. The book is about punching Nazis in the nose, which is, but, I think, something that everybody wants to do, except yes. for the few Nazis that are still around. That are here. And, and hopefully they're fearful of being punched. So, yes. so, so let's jump into this. So like you were saying a second ago, as a writer of over 60 books, how did this incredible subject come to your attention? Well, I knew parts of the story mm -hmm. um, from reading uh, the 26 volumes of the Warren Commission testimony when I was doing Who's Who in the JFK assassination. Wow. I had read biographies of, of various mobsters of the era. Meyer mm -hmm. um, Lansky and Mickey Cohen both mentioned in their books. Uh, word of mouth. Uh, and I knew about American Nazis parading and rallying in New York City. Uh, there had been some, uh, some profiles on that in the last few years. Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't realize how organized the anti-Nazi movement was in 1938 America right. in, until my agent, Doug Grad, alerted me to an article by Robert Rockaway in Tablet Magazine, which introduced me to Judge Nathan Perlman, who is the true hero of the book. Right. Oh, that's great. So let's let's set this up. Can you give us an idea of what it was like for the Jewish people in New York, Newark, Chicago, places like that? I mean, everybody's struggling, but they seem to have an, a little extra layer of uh, frustration going on. Yeah, well, yeah, everybody was poor. Mm -hmm. um, America was nine years into the Great Depression. But Jews in America had it particularly rough because they were ostracized from Gentile society for the mm -hmm. most part. Uh, there were only a few occupations that Jewish men and women were allowed to have. Wow. And they lived almost entirely among themselves in tightly packed Jewish neighborhoods in many of America's big cities, right. having come from Europe where, you know, to say the least, uh, the persecution was even worse. Mm -hmm. So Jewish people uh, in America were already having problems when the German-American Bund begins holding rallies and parades, singing the praises of Adolf Hitler and blaming all the world's problems on the Jews. Right. Um, I mean, there were an estimated 100,000 followers of the Nazi party in America in 1938, but it wasn't the numbers of Nazis that bothered Jewish leaders um, the most, right. but the, the brazen nature of their actions 
you know, holding parades in Manhattan that look like the Macy's parade, <laughs> except for with, with goose stepping and Sig Heiling. Oh my God. Uh, and then, and all of the, the speeches going on mm-hmm. during which, you know, the, the solutions to the Jewish problem were, were discussed at the top of their lungs. Right. And, uh, the, the Bund told America that the Jews were responsible for the depression. The reason nobody had any money is because the Jews had it all. Right. They were communists and you know, this all must have come as such a shock to the Jewish rag picker in Newark, New Jersey, <laughs> whose horse just what? dropped dead in the middle of the street. He's going, I don't think I have all the money. I got money? Where's my money? Yeah, right yeah. Away. <laughs> so luckily for the rest of the Jewish American community, right. there was a new generation of Jewish men who didn't follow Gentile rules. They didn't even follow the law. Uh, they didn't wait to be given a piece of the pie. They went out and took it. Right. And if confronted by anti-Semitism, they would feed it a knuckle sandwich. Right. Uh, but that's what you do. I mean, they were like third or fourth generation. They're like, hey, I see what this has done to my parents, my grandparents. I'm not doing this. That's right. And wow. sometimes it broke mom's heart. Yes. But uh, they were not going to live in poverty. And they didn't. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're businessmen. I, I know I've so many stories of, uh, you know, trying to take care of their mothers and fathers and, and get them nice things and put them in nice homes or whatever. But yeah, they literally saw their parents breaking their back and being treated like crap for it and not being paid very much and being told to stay in their own lane. They're like, no, 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 no. Well, so, and being threatened by bullies and threatened yes. with even worse by organizations and, right. you know, or screaming lies at the top of their lungs. Exactly. And as we're going to see later, besides the, um, German-American Bund, the, the anti-Semitism is quite, I don't even know what the word, prevalent, popular, I don't even know what the, the appropriate word is, but even though they're the tip of the spear, there's a lot of this going on in American culture at the time. Well, there's, a not, a, there's not a lot of voices in America defending oh, the Jews. Right, good point. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. America kind of don't care. Yeah, uh, no one's speaking anymore. And, and, and all, all racism and bigotry in 1938 seemed to be shockingly mainstream from a modern point of view. Right, right. So, yeah, hopefully we're, we're doing better now. We'll, we'll continue to do better. So let's, let's jump into the story. Could you introduce us into some of the major characters in your book, the, the, uh, the various gangsters who are the heroes in this story, and of course <laughs> okay. some of the uh, American Nazis? Okay, well, I'm going to start with Judge Perlman, okay. um, and because he's, he's really the catalyst. Right. He was born in Poland. He uh, came to New York City and when he was four years old, went to NYU Law School, mm-hmm. served in both the New York State Assembly and then as a U.S. congressman before mm-hmm. he was appointed to the bench. He was a barrel-chested guy with a big guffaw when he laughed. <laughs> uh, he was active in Jewish affairs, and he enjoyed a good time. Mm-hmm. He would walk into a bar in, in lower Manhattan near the courthouse, and he would say, I voted to repeal prohibition. <laughs> And everybody would buy him a drink, and he never had to buy a drink for the rest of his life. He, and, he, and he was telling the truth. He voted for repeal. Yes. So anyway, Judge Perlman is downtown right. in Manhattan outside the, uh, the U.S. Customs Building in Bowling Green, southern tip of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And there's an, uh, a ceremony going on, patriotic American ceremony. I believe new U.S. citizens were being sworn in. Uh. But they had to move the ceremony inside because the German-American Bund was having a rally in Bowling Green Park. And that just steamed him. 
So he went into a nearby tavern, he brooded over his drink, Mm -hmm. and then he snapped his fingers, and he got up, and he went into a payphone, dropped Mm -hmm. his nickel, and called an acquaintance of his, Meyer Lansky, Mm -hmm. uh, who was, and probably still is, the biggest all-time Jewish gangster. Wow. Um, Now, Perlman needed Jewish gangsters because they were going to ask these guys to break the law. Right. And... That was something that uh, your Jew probably was not willing to do, risk arrest. And plus, the Jews were the ones who best understood the situation in Europe, which was really the story. Yes. Uh, It seems hard to imagine now. In 1938, most Americans were against going to war against Mm -hmm. Hitler. He'd conquered most of Europe and still uh, America figured we didn't have a dog in the fight. Exactly. Exactly. But Jewish Americans saw it differently. Right. They knew that horrible things were happening in Europe, that their relatives were being rounded up and no one was coming back. Yes. So they were the first to realize uh, that war against Hitler was necessary and inevitable mm. and that war for the hearts and minds of Americans had already begun. Right. So, wow. you know, I, I wrote a book that had a subtitle. Uh, it was... Um, how Jewish mobsters battled Nazis in Depression-era America. Right. And the publisher changed it to wartime America. Mm. I said, is, is that historically correct? I don't think so. But yeah. the more I think about it, the war had already started. It just didn't have bullets yet. Right, exactly. Uh, so now there, okay, on the Nazi side, there are two Nazi organizations holding rallies in the U.S. The German-American Bund, which mm-hmm. started out as a, a group of German-Americans celebrating the fatherland, but it was taken over by uh, Nazis, oh. and, they were, and they were given paramilitary uniforms that were brown, and they were called the brown shirts. Mm-hmm. And the leader was a drunken loner named Fritz Kuhn, right. whose oratory style was as much like Hitler's as he could muster. Oh. And then there was also the Silver Legion, known mm-hmm. as Silver Shirts, although the shirts were actually light blue. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were run by William Pelly, who was an ex-Hollywood writer who claimed that during a near-death experience, he'd been advised by God to sure. spread the word of Hitler. Oh, okay. Now, at a typical, a typical Bund rally, yeah. there were large swastikas hung from the back of the stage, formed a backdrop. Uh, there were portraits of Hitler placed next to portraits of George Washington. Wow. Because they were putting it across that this was not just a German rally. This was a German-American rally. Right. And uh, the men on stage were wearing little toothbrush mustaches, known at the time as Charlie Chaplin mustaches. But a few years later, they'd be known as Hitler mustaches. Right. Uh, and they, they, their oratory style was just like Fritz Kuhn's. They'd wave their arms, spittle spewing. Right. And uh, since, the, since there were no hate speech laws back then, oh. as long as no one said anything obscene or shouted fire, they could say whatever they wanted. So when Judge Perlman decides to sick an army on the yeah. Nazis in America, yeah. uh, he knew he needed an army of Jewish men who didn't care that much about the law. <laughs> right. Calls Meyer Lansky and... Uh, <laughs> And Lansky, uh, Lansky sets it up. Yeah. Now, Which, Italian mobsters at the time were, were, were the ones that got all the press. Right. Yeah, they're the mafia. They're mafia. Yeah. Celebrities. But yeah, but back, back in the day, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, the Jewish mob was very powerful. Right. Arnold Rothstein was the first. And he was a guy who once tried to fix the World Series. <laughs> but Lansky right. came a generation later mm-hmm. and was even more powerful, largely because... 
he was best buddies as a kid with Lucky Luciano, who was the boss of all bosses. Right. And everybody always listened to Luciano, and Luciano always listened to Lansky. So Jewish men were making money and wielding power in U.S. cities, New York, Chicago, L.A. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the the men who fought the Nazis in New York were members of a set, which needs a little explanation. It's an organization of professional killers Mm -hmm. carry out contracted hits pre-approved by a commission of mob bosses. Right. So, And the set was put in place by Luciano and Lansky uh, to keep everybody from shooting everybody else every time they had beef, which was bad for business. Um, Now, Luciano knew about Judge Perlman's request and offered the services of Italian gangsters as well. But Lansky said, no, thanks. This Jewish fight, we're doing it for our Jewish brothers and sisters in Europe. Uh, Judge Perlman offered to pay them. I understand you're professional killers. Mm -hmm. And Lansky said, no, no, we don't need any money. (laughs) We got Um, this. And, 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 and how many how many Nazis do you want us to kill? Right. And, and Judge Perlman, who is sitting next to a rabbi, oh. says, oh, no, 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 no. If you start shooting Nazis, you're going to lose the moral high ground. Exactly. You might even make matters worse. You could, you can, Lancey says, you're talking about violence, though, aren't you? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. You can do anything but kill them. Wow. And Lansky says, and this is a quote, Okay, we won't kill them. We'll just marinate them. <laughs> I'm scared. I'm yeah, scared. yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Oh my god. Yeah, that's a compromise, right? It's a compromise. Oh, yeah. And and Judge Perlman says they should know that being a Nazi is dangerous. Ooh, I like that because we've lost that. Let's be honest. We'll get to this later, but we've lost the idea of it. Being, yeah. yeah. So, so, so the, yeah. the no kill rules caused a slight problem for Lansky because the murder Inc boys and that they were called murder Inc. You've heard murder Inc. Right. These are the guys, yeah. the set of pro killers that are going to be sent to fight the Nazis. And uh, all of them are just dangerous as all get out with a gun in their hand, mm-hmm. but you take the gun away and not right. all of them are really that great in a fight. So he takes the boys <laughs> Gleason's gym, which is still around, but it, it, at the time it was up in the Bronx. Right. Gives him some boxing lessons. And I'm not, in, in retrospect, thinking about this, I don't think it was as much an exercise in pugilistic skills mm-hmm. as much as team building. Oh, right. Because th- these guys went out in pairs usually to, to do their hits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now they, they had to be a, a, a small mob. Right. Uh, so, you know, they're going to be going into situations where they're greatly outnumbered. Mm-hmm. And the way to do it was to do it with you know, great enthusiasm. <laughs> right. Uh, and then their, their names are, of course, of great entertainment value. There was Bugsy Goldstein. There was right. TikTok Tannenbaum. There was Pittsburgh Phil, who'd never actually been to Pittsburgh. <laughs> Blue matter. jaw magoon because he looked like he needed to shave about 30 seconds after he shaved. Right. And, I love that. And those were the guys yeah. that took on the uh, the German-American fund in, in New yeah. York City. But, and I know you know this, but if you think about it, it's brilliant. Here's Perlman going, I need someone who's very comfortable outside of the law, and yet at the same time, I need them to be highly organized and disciplined and not make this worse. I mean, you talked about the Italian gangs, the Jewish gangs, the Irish gangs. They stayed away from each other. They are disciplined. They only care about business. And he's just taking one of these gangs and he's going, look, for you, this is personal. I get this. Here's what I want you to do. And right. they're happy to. 
So absolutely. Yeah. They, they, you know, just because just because I'm a hood don't mean I ain't no patriot. Exactly. I care. Let me show you how much I care by busting some heads. Yeah. This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. I've stressed this in my podcast about command and control, which is exactly what Yahoo Finance is. You can see all your investments and retirement accounts in one place. You can consolidate your views from multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, and they've worked things out. You've got the tools you need right at your fingertips. I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing is all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. So you've touched on this a little bit, but um, what were some of the goals of the of the Bund? Because it, it's not like they were just saying, oh, America and Nazi Germany should get along. I mean, they wanted a more closer association. Yes. Oh, well, in, in the short term, mm-hmm. they wanted to unite German-American voters right. to create a political force uh, that would get like-minded individuals into positions of power, ah. uh, the extreme right wing. Mm-hmm. In the long term, they envisioned a world in which America would have been transformed into a overgrown duplicate of Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. uh, where Jews would have been rounded up and executed. Democracy would have been abolished. Yes. Uh, civil rights for minorities would have been non-existent. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of hard to imagine who would have been left after the yeah. Nazis finished their purge. You know, I'm, I'm a Catholic. I might have gone. You're go- you know, yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah, none of that. Yeah. Vatican, Vatican. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So no competing governments yeah. of any kind. And, and of course, in Italy, where the fascists were in charge, right. Mussolini, Mussolini and the mafia, the original Sicilian mafia, were at odds because they were competing governments. Ah, okay. And I imagine at the very least, um, Hitler would want the Bund to do whatever they could to keep America out of the war. Let me finish taking over Europe and taking other parts and, and removing one of the biggest threats with America's industrial potential. Yes, yes. And he, he thought of that long before 1938. As soon as he was in power, he put together a plan to conquer Hollywood, California. Oh, and he figured if he could take over the movie industry, which mm-hmm. is the world's greatest propaganda machine. Exactly. Of course, once the war actually started, they cranked out anti-Hitler movies because right. the plan didn't work. Uh, and he, he put in uh, a, little, a little team of, of operatives mm-hmm. in California designed to infiltrate the, uh, the uh, studios. Right. But it didn't work because it, the... Los Angeles was just different. Yeah. Uh, and Hitler Hitler had no concept of it. Right. What do you mean there's no German section? Yeah. What do you what do you what do you mean what do you mean that there's there are there's no, there are no third generation right. 
people yeah. from Los Angeles, Angelinos. Uh, it, it was all spread out. Uh, there was no tradition. It was completely devoid of tradition, in yes. fact. Everybody yes. was making up things as they went along. Uh, and there was old money there, oil money. And they was really conservative and deeply anti-Semitic, and they they thought that Hollywood was disgusting. But they didn't want to go to war with Hollywood. Yeah, yeah live and let live. They stay on their side of the city. We stay on our side of the city. We're good. Right. Um, and the the plus the guys that Hitler sent were all power hungry uh, on, on an individual basis. Right. And what happened was a, a lawyer named L. Uh, his, his name was Lewis. Mm-hmm. It was L. L. Lewis, and he got recruited men and women Jews right. as spies. Mm. You know, he said, if you're Jewish and you can pass for Gentile, I need you. Right. And he infiltrated this operation and they, the women apparently did really good at yes. finding out what was going on. Mm. Now, there was a plan to kidnap top Jewish stars, Eddie Cantor, oh uh, and uh, studio magnates and kill them mm-hmm. as part of the plan. And, well, anyway, what, what, the, what the Jewish people did was they started spreading rumors about the leaders of the, uh, of the, the Nazi movement and that they were all out to backstab each other. Right. And oh, they, so much infighting ensued that everything <laughs> broke down and Hollywood went pretty much unmolested by this effort. Uh, and by the time the gangsters versus Nazis war starts in 1938, that, that story is a few years old. Ah. Um, uh. They take, and, take and, and the Bund is recruiting at a much more grassroots level. There's, right. Then, as now, Los Angeles had a, uh, a conspicuous homeless problem. Mm-hmm. And what the Bund was doing is they were just scooping these guys up, taking them to their own personal soup kitchen, and giving them a uniform with a Nazi oh, on the shoulder, gotcha. with a uh, swastika on the shoulder. Not exactly a recipe for success, but uh, I digress. So, but you bring up a good point. I mean, the Bund is dangerous. They do have um, anti-American plans. And, and like you were touching on a second ago, the Bund isn't the only organization out there that's popular, that's anti-Semitic. And so as the, as the Jewish mobsters move forward, they know they better be clever. They better be smart and disciplined, not go too far. Because it's not like there's a lot of, besides Judge Perlman, I don't think there's anybody on there side well that's that's right and, and i'm sure there were there were liberal thinking americans sure. Sure. Uh, who were on their side but not enough to matter uh I, the, the pollsters did made took a poll during the mm-hmm. depression and they didn't have the courage to say you know how many of you think the jews should all be killed uh but the, what mm-hmm. they asked was how many get Yes or no, do you think the Jews should go back where they came from? Oh. And 10% of Americans said yes. Okay. Uh, that, that's, and that would be probably at the most extreme end. There's probably another 20 or 30% who, if asked, would say they preferred the Jews kept to themselves. Right, right. Stay in your neighborhood. Don't come into my neighborhood, please. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I guess it's okay if you're a comedian or you're in the circus or mm-hmm. if you're a butcher. But, uh, yeah, don't try to compete with me or my brothers for jobs right. because that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, 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 yeah, and it never really truly went away. I think there are many white Gentiles in America today who tend to think that they are the only ones who truly matter. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. o- only our votes count. Right. I think is the thinking. 
Yeah, and if you ask people to stay in their own area, their own neighborhood, I mean, that's racism as well. Don't ever step out. Oh, and, sure, you know, right. So oh, yeah. It, it might be a little bit more passive, but it's still the same thing. So, uh, and, and that's the way it is in big cities for the most part. The neighborhoods are have an ethnic identity. Right. <clears throat> and there are boundaries. Yes, yes. Are you stay on your side of the street and you're right. okay. Because this is what works. But see, here's the crux of it, and this is why Judge Perlman was so brilliant, because the boond... Up until the point they're cracking skulls, they're not breaking any laws. All they got to do is file some paperwork, file some some uh, request forms, and they're allowed to have parades. They're allowed to have meetings. Yes, they're saying horrible things, but like you said, that's not against the law. Right, right. And it, it really isn't until after the Yorkville riot, which we will get to, mm-hmm. um, Mayor LaGuardia has had enough of these guys. <laughs> right. And he... Uh, puts in new rules. Mm-hmm. You, you can't dress like an army unless you're dressing like the U.S. Army. Ooh. So no uniforms. And that was half the fun for these guys. Is yes. They got to you know, put on Cos- the uniform Cosplay. and be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, and I think a lot of them were exactly on that level. Right. Uh, I'm, you know, Hitler's ideas are are so abstract at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you actually put one of these guys in a room full of Jews and said, "Okay, kill them," they wouldn't be able to do it. No, I yeah. really, I, I just want to go to see you know, my German friends. They want to yeah. drink beer. Hang out. I want to pinch the waitress's butt. I wanna, yeah. you know, I, I want to look tough, but I'm not really tough. But not really tough. Yeah. They were they were a, an army of very pink men. <laughs> um, <laughs> So what about to be black and blue? Yeah, yeah. The new the New York members of the Bund to get around Laguardia's rules, they get on a bus and go across the Hudson River to Newark, and the uh, the 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 rallies continue. Right. So you know a new a new army of guys from across the river because you can't really send New York gangsters to New Jersey because that's a problem too. Right. So so a new team of gangsters has to be recruited to fight the Newark wars. Boy, did they ever. <laughs> exactly. So let's, I, um, I, I really want to get to the action because the way things are in this country, you don't really mind seeing some Nazis get roughed up. So, so we'll get to that in just a second. But you, we can't go any further in the story without talking about Father Charles Coughlin. Uh, oh, Coughlin boy. Because he legitimized so much of what the Bund was trying to do, or he attempted to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, the nation's most popular anti-Semite mm-hmm. was Father Charles Coughlin. And he gave his sermons over the radio on Sunday afternoons. Mm-hmm. I think he, well, he, he was preempted by Pearl Harbor at one right. point. He didn't, <laughs> yes, didn't realize that, that was, that was going to be the end of his career. I love that. Um, but he, he came on right between the Rhythmic Ramblings program and Design for Dancing. <laughs> And they called Coughlin the radio priest. Right. He had a, he had a velvety soft, had a velvety soft voice, right. and tenderly wrapped his hate speech in a warm security blanket of tone and comfort. Aww. In 1926, yes, in 1926, he built his own church, the Shrine of the Little Flower. Right. You know, another awe. Yes, exactly. And <laughs> was given free radio time to promote his church. Oh. And his first shift from the religious to the political came in 1929 after the stock market crashed and the nation plummeted into despair. Everything was in black and white. Um, And eventually, Coughlin broadcasted uh, his program on nationwide syndication. Right. 
And he was dishing out a weekly strong defense of Nazi Germany. Mm. In particular, he praised the way that Nazis dealt with the Jews. Right. Now, the priest said that he was against all forms of religious persecution, of course. Of course. But, but <laughs> the Germans' treatment of the Jews was a natural reaction to the communist threat that the Jews represented. Ah. Now, it's unclear if Coughlin was aware of the genocide underway when he said this. Right. But he certainly knew about Kristallnacht, mm. which November 9th and 10th, 1938, right. in which Jewish neighborhoods were smashed and many of their res- residents killed. Yeah. Coughlin told America he wasn't pro-Nazi. He was anti-communist. Uh, he right. named the name of two dozen Jewish men who were involved in the Russian Revolution. Right. He said the Jews had money and they were backing the communists. And the Jewish religion and communists, in fact, were synonymous and that the... Power of of that combo was making Germany sick like a cancer. Was it any wonder they wanted to cut it out? Wow! So without any sense of irony, yes. Other Coughlin says that many Jews in Germany have become powerful by using their talents to qu- acquire positions in radio, newspapers, and international banking. The Jews, he said, were dangerous because of their solidarity. It was one for all with with those people, so that when they wanted to be aggressive, mm-hmm. they could Germany. Pleaded with FDR to pull American ambassadors out of all communist countries. Oh you know, FDR wanted nothing to do with right. Father Coughlin. Right. Uh, and Coughlin's ratings were through the roof. Yeah. So Judge Perlman got on the phone and started calling Jewish mobsters across the country, including <laughs> Chicago. Right. Anti-Semitism was in the very air. Right. Oh, my God. And that's what they've, they've got to battle with. Um yeah, and I'm trying to remember. Um, so, the, like you said, the great irony: the Jews are lo- losing their lives, their property, everything they own in Germany, and yet somehow, at the same time, they're having they're taking incredible positions of power and yes. dominating the non-Jews. I mean, that just makes absolutely no sense. And again, like in America, everything's the Jews' fault. Well, if they've got a ton of money, they're they're hiding it brilliantly because they've That's been working right. in that clothing store for the last three generations. So exactly. Yeah. So let's let's jump into this. So um, let's get into some of the action. So let's talk about one of the earlier missions, and you just, I think, alluded to it maybe a minute ago, but the Bundeselebrating Hitler's birthday. A lot of this takes place in 1937-38. So this is going to be um, the Jewish mobsters, I think, first chance to show what they are made of. Uh, yes. April 20th, 1938, right. Hitler's birthday. Lansky takes his crew Mm-hmm. To the Yorkville Casino. Yorkville is the, the German neighborhood. Right. Uh, it's on East 86th Street. Oh, a little preface to the story. Albert Anastasia, the, the crime boss, uh, he was known as Lord High Executioner. <laughs> he used to have a trick. Right. If, if he had to whack someone in New York City in a high-profile way, either a famous guy or they had to be done in public, right. he would buy hats made in Chicago put them on his hit team, and then after the shooting was done, the hoods would lose their hats and flee. You know, drop the hat, take the cannoli. And so sure enough, the papers would then quote the cops the next day Mm -hmm. saying, we suspect that a hit team from Chicago was behind the hit. Uh, They must have been brought in. Meanwhile, the actual killers are back in Brownsville, Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. about six miles from where I am right now, sitting in the back room of Midnight Rose's uh, candy store. (laughs) Playing cards and waiting for the phone to ring. Comparing stories. Uh, yes, that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Lansky 
remembers this. Right. And so he gives his guys American Legion hats. Oh. And then and then sends them in to beat the crap out of the Nazis. So they're having a rally and there's speeches going on. And these guys come in and they've got sawed-off pool cues. They got brass knuckles. They've got their new pugilistic skills that they studied at Gleason's <laughs> one, one, two. And they go in and the Nazis are just stunned. Right. They have no idea what's going on. Who, who are these guys? Right. And why are they angry at us? What are we <laughs> what doing? What are we doing? What the heck are we doing? And there's no talking. They they just go in and start swinging. As far as Max, I know, Max, Max. Yeah, okay. I, mean, I think the Tic Tac Tic Tac Tannenbaum and Bugsy Goldstein might have cracked a couple of jokes while they were right. doing it. This was their want. Right. Uh, and the, the closest they ever came to the no killing rule mm-hmm. was they dropped a guy out of the second floor window, <laughs> oh and he God. broke his femur on the sure. on the sidewalk below. Uh, so, but other than that, they were, I think seven Nazis had to be hospitalized. Oh my goodness! And that and that was the the, the Yorkville riot. Right. Uh, it made all the papers. American Legion guys went in and started attacking the uh, German American Bund last night, and the real American Legion guys are going, which <laughs> which, uh, which lodge was this? It wasn't us. But they weren't really ticked off because a lot of those guys had fought in World War One and right. did not like the idea of Germans being aggressive again. Yes. I did, I, had nothing really to do with anti-Semitism, but the, they, they, you want to punch a German, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're okay kind of, with us. Yeah, we're okay with it, yeah. So, so like you said, Yorktown is where the Germans are. Uh, uh, no, 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 Yorkville. Yorkville. Yorktown is the aircraft carrier. Oh, sorry, sorry. Force of habit on my yeah. part. Thank you, thank you. So Yorkville, yeah, so this is the, the German center, but now it's just been busted up. And we're going to skip some of these because I want to save it for the readers. But it sounds like um, the next one is where they need maybe to go to Chicago. Could right. you please introduce us to, and I love this name, Jake Greasy Thumb Guznik of Chicago, because he's oh. going to get a call as well. Oh, yeah. Well, Jake Greasy Thumb Guznik right. is the number one <laughs> Jewish gangster in Chicago. And that's because, like Lansky, right. he's the he's got the ear of Al Capone. Ah, gotcha. uh, both both Capone and Guznik uh, went uh, went to Leavenworth right. during the 30s for tax evasion. And at this point. Guzik's out, Capone's still in. Mm-hmm. And Judge Perlman calls him up and says, can you, can you put together a, a team of uh, fighters for us? Right. And it's a little bit different than it was in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Guzik and Capone have their headquarters in a restaurant on uh, Kedzie Avenue mm-hmm. in Chicago, which is the, the, the Jewish main drag. Right. And it's adjacent to Davy Miller's boxing club and pool hall right. where boxers, including Barney Ross, the, the mm-hmm. world champion, right. You know, fought in soldier field. Um, and so there's, there's boxers and gangsters Just, and the yeah. line is blurred with some of these guys. Of right. Course. Right. Uh, boxing was, was run by mobsters in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Know, Carbo, Mr. Gray, as they referred to him, if you were talking about boxing. Right. But anyway, Guzik wields tremendous power because he's Capone's accountant. Ah. And nice. uh, so, and he he contacts Jacob Rubenstein, who's right next door, a little Sparky Rubenstein, who's uh, who's Capone's gopher and sure, yeah, young man. 
and uh, that Barney Ross and a bunch of these guys, and also recruited at that time mm-hmm. is a guy by the name of Herb Bryn. Right. Um, then I, 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 I a little bit more about Guzik before yeah. we move. Um, now, if you asked Guzik, he would say that he was Capone's business and financial advisor. <laughs> Uh, and he, and like and and like uh, Judge Perlman, born in Europe, yeah, moved to the new new world when he was just a baby. Uh, Dad ran a cigar store, mm. and Jake, when he was uh, still a teenager, got a job tending bar. And sometimes he was a steerer. Right now, steerers still exist. That's like if you are a uh, rich young athlete and you've just been traded to uh, the I would like to pick a pick a city, Boston. Right. But just been treated, the Boston Red Sox, right? And you arrive at the airport. There will inevitably be a man there mm-hmm. who will not be the team's driver, but will will say, "I'll give you a ride to the ballpark, kid." Mm-hmm. And on the way, he'll tell you where you can get all the drugs you need, where you can get the girls you need, <laughs> wow. and he'll you know give you here's a free pass to the gentlemen's club for later on. Ooh, yeah, uh, and. and a lot of young ballplayers get themselves in serious trouble that way. Right. Which is what, you know, you have 24-year-old baseball pitchers who go into rehab for cocaine addiction. Yeah. It, it didn't happen accidentally. Gotcha. Um, wow. So, so uh, yeah, in, in 1932, Guzik was busted by the feds. Uh, he served three years for tax evasion. Um, and his first chance of parole was rejected because the board found that Guzik to be a menace and dangerous to society. And he said, What? Me? It's got to be a joke. I've never lifted a finger in anger in my entire life. <clears throat> so he he immediately returns to Chicago, resumes his position. Right. Uh, although you know, getting in touch with Capone involves a messenger. Right. And it was obvious that he picked up most of his fashion sense from Capone. They both wore dark <laughs> trench coats and, and cream-colored fedoras with brown bands above the brim. I love that uh, look. They're yeah. both in love with food. They were they're pudgy, had budgy round faces and double chins. Right. And so, and when it comes time to uh, fight the Nazis, Judge Perlman calls Guzik. Yeah. Uh, and and Herb Brin, who is a Jewish uh, uh, journalist. Ah. Okay. Who, who grew up in that same neighborhood. Right. Now Herb looked, if I remember correctly from your book, he looked like he was a poster boy. For Hitler's Nazi Germany, is that correct? <laughs> I mean, not well, to put too you know, funny. I, I was, I was, yeah. I, I had the pleasure of interviewing both of Herb's sons. Right. And uh, you know, their, their memories of, of Herb's stories weren't exactly perfect all the time. Sure. But they, 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 they balked at the idea of, of him being having blonde hair. Right. Well, Dad's hair was never blonde. <laughs> Dad's, hair, Dad's hair was sort of a light brown. But yeah, you could yeah, you could pass for Gentile. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. So his writing abilities had nothing to do with why he was being recruited. Right. Um, one of the things he had going for him was he'd been punching out anti-Semites for years, including <laughs> you know a soon-to-be famous story of him dragging a mouthy anti-Semite off of a city bus, <laughs> beating the crap out of him from one side of the block to the other, <laughs> and then getting back on the bus yes. to a. A standing ovation. The bus waited. The, the bus waited for his fight to be the over. Bus, bus Come on back on, sir. Thank Everybody you. wanted to watch. Yes. Oh, my God. 
because the guy had said some loathsome things. I don't right. know what he thought was going to happen. <laughs> so he's a reporter, but he's Jewish. He cares about his people. And like these other mobsters, uh, not that he's a mobster, he, there is a level, an element of patriotism. It's, you know, they care yes. about their country. Oh, right, right, yeah. right. And, and, and these, these, these Jewish communities mix. I mean, the Jewish reporters, there was a Jewish reporter along at the Yorkville riots as well, which is why we know what we know. Oh, gotcha. Um, and and the, the thing is, when, uh, when Bryn is told about what's going to happen, he says, you know, I, I grew up on Kedzie Avenue myself. My dad had a hardware store. It was only a, a block or two away from Davy Miller's boxing gym. Wow. I, wasted a, I wasted an afternoon or two in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know Sparky Rubenstein. I'm, yeah, I, I do. Yeah. Um, I'm your man. Yeah, because that takes courage. So, that takes courage yeah, well, to go And, and his job is not just to punch Nazis. He has to infiltrate yes, the yes. German-American Bund. And since at this point they're not having public rallies anymore because you know what happens when they do that. Yes. Everybody, everybody goes to the emergency room. <laughs> they're having secret meetings at a secret time and place. Oh. And sure enough. Right. Next time they have a secret meeting and Herb's you know, sitting there innocently in the third <laughs> row. Right. <laughs> and everybody's been, everybody's been briefed. Don't punch Herb. Right. He's going to cower in a corner like he's a coward. Leave yeah. him alone. <laughs> and these guys, and they did not need boxing lessons. Wow. You know, Sparky and Barney and these guys are fighters. Right. And oh they, there wasn't even a lot of weapons being used. Uh, gotcha. Although Barney, Barney Ross used a weapon because he said his hands were lethal weapons legally. And if he punched somebody and they died, he would be guilty of murder. Okay. So, so Sparky, you know, gives him some brass, gives him a, a sawed off pool cue or right. a, a sap. Hit him with so yeah. like, like this will be safer. Uh, Here's the safe Barney, way to hurt someone. Here you go. Yeah. Um, and uh, so Bryn's assignment is to provide the intelligence, mm -hmm. uh, report on the rhetoric that the Nazis are using. Right. Uh, report on any actions they had planned. Because uh, there was always a worry that it was going to be more than a meeting that was planned at some point, mm -hmm. that there would be an attack. Right. Um, to get copies of the propaganda they were distributing, hopefully find out where the printing press was, because that would be another place it could be busted up. Right. Um, and, and that was what happened. And the, the, the Bun movement in Chicago is, again, it's short-lived. Right. Because the, uh, the Jewish gangsters put together an army and... and, and showed that it was dangerous to be a Nazi and that Jews could be tough. Nice. I, I have to ask, and I meant to ask this earlier, so Judge Perlman, that's a pretty big deal, a, an official, a judge calling up the mob and going, hey, you know, between you and me. But I'm wondering, in your research, was, was um, I don't know, anybody higher, maybe FDR, was anybody made aware of kind of what was going on behind the scenes and choosing not to do anything about it, or did they just enjoy the headlines like not, other people? Not that, not that I know of. Okay. I, I, right. I, I kind of think not. Okay. I do know that local police forces ah. were often being bribed by the gangsters anyway. Yeah. So uh, they usually arrive just in time to pick up the pieces. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> In this case, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and some teeth. <laughs> scrape up the puddles on the sidewalk right. and stuff. So Yorkville is not working out for the Boond. Chicago is not working out for the Boond. And like you were saying earlier, to get around LaGuardia, they would just jump on a bus and head to Newark. So now it's Newark's turn to deal with this problem. 
Right. And in Newark, the top Jewish gangster is Longy Zwillman. Nice name. And he's a hero in Newark in the Jewish community because he protected little kids. Even when he was a kid, right. he protected Jewish kids from the uh, the goy bullies that would come in. <laughs> right. And, you know, that's not Nazis, but just anti-Semites who pick yeah. on Jews because they, they they didn't fight back. Right. And he would womp these guys. And, Get Longy. Um, and Longy would come running and the, Start the bullies would get theirs. Yeah. Right. Now, now Longy makes a zillion dollars during Prohibition as a bootlegger. Wow. He's, I think, the fifth biggest bootlegger in, in the country. Wow. He's got all the money. He, he actually does have all the money in the world. And uh, <laughs> he's the one. Uh, dates uh, uh, Gene Harlow for yeah. a while. Hollywood. Yes, I mean, she, she, I would, she's very sad when she has to go back to Hollywood because she got a contract to be in the movies. She gives him a little locket with a little, little piece of her, uh, her platinum-colored pubic hair in it. Wow. And uh, so she's all oh, so sweet. That is sweet. And, uh, yeah, it's nice. Uh, so Longy right. wants, to stay, he wants to stay out of the fray for the most part. So he recruits to build his team of, of Nazi fighters, a guy by the name of Nat Arno. Okay. Who's an ex-boxer? Oh God! And has his own boxing gym, so it's like in Chicago. They're not gonna have to teach these guys how to fight, right? Um, the uh, the pro boxers, they already knew how to throw a combination, <laughs> and uh, right, and it made a big. And they were also really easy to recruit, yeah, because they were already working for Bob anyway, and this was just another thing they had to do. It's set up. And, it's already yeah, set no, up. Yeah, and yeah. nobody's getting paid, but uh, it's going to be fun. <laughs> I like a good time. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, when you box professionally, you have to face another professional boxer. Right. Uh, in this case, you just got to you know, handle Hans and Fritz in there. Right. They may, not, they may not even raise their hands. They're exactly. not going to know what to do. Exactly. Um, and after, after boxers retired, Many of them became full-time hoods. They worked as as enforcers, bodyguards, bouncers. Right. Um, yeah. And in Newark, along with Nat Arno, you had Putty Hingis. Hmm. Good name. Abe a- a- Bain. Um, there, it, there was a guy by the name of Bouncing Boy Levine. <laughs> he was called Bouncing Boy early in his boxing career because he bounced on his toes when oh. he fought. And he was called Bouncing Boy Levine late in his career because he always bounced off the canvas when he got hit. <laughs> He's consistent. All right. Right. And 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 Newark, for some reason, the Newark Nazis keep coming back for more. Right. They keep thinking that it's a sign of insanity. They keep thinking if they're going to repeat the process, eventually they're going to have a peaceful meeting oh and be God. able to sing the glories of Hitler no. without having to worry about their nose. No. But you you were saying a second ago. I'm probably going to say his name wrong. Zilman. Zil Zilman. Huh. Uh, Zwillman, Zwillman, Z-W. Zwillman, Zwillman. So, yeah. And, and you're like, he's rich. I mean, he's, he's like, technically, you're not getting paid, but I got all the bills. I'll bribe the police. Any medical bills nope. come to me? Any bail? Nobody has to worry about. I any got bills. you. Right. I got you. Nobody has to worry about bail money. Right. I will take. And he does. He literally <laughs> takes care of everybody. And he also he also shows up for the first fight at the Schwaben Hall. We gotta and, see that. Yeah. And, then, and then he has to go around to all the reporters saying, "No, you didn't see me." <laughs> I'm not, here. Free, I'm not here. He's suit and strutting around like you're a proud father. I, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I'm here, but I'm not here. So, yeah, I'm could you – sorry, go ahead. No, 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 and, and, uh, they, uh, they say if you, if you have to name somebody, you know, name Nat. Right. 
He's here. He's he, he's swinging. He's he's in charge. Yeah. And 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 if you if you word the article correctly, you might discourage Nazis from being in Newark. Ah, uh, who doesn't want that? The majority of them do. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um. Um. If you have any other setup, please. But if you could tell us about the attack on the Schwebenhall, I'm not sure how to say oh. it. On yes. East, so I, you know, I, I I do have a a German background. I, mm-hmm. I I only had one grandparent that spoke with an accent, though. Right. Uh, I, believe, I believe it's Schwabenhall. Schwabenhall. Yeah. Gotcha. And it's the site of the biggest Newark riot. It's on Spring Street in East Newark, mm-hmm. and about 150 Nazis were having quite a ball in a in a hall <laughs> on the second floor of a big building. Right. They're singing songs. They're drinking beer. Oh my um, God. There's there's a good, there's a big bus on the way from New York of the guys that Mayor LaGuardia chased out of New York. Right. And Nat Arno and his his boys mm-hmm. show up. They darken their faces with burnt cork. Oh. And and Arno has brought a ladder with him. Mm-hmm. He goes behind the building, puts it up, leans it against the back of the building, <laughs> and and so, somehow lifts the window. Maybe it was up already, but mm-hmm. gets it gets it open. And just as they're all singing and the speech is about to begin, he throws seven stink bombs through the window. Oh, my God. And there is, as you might imagine, uh, panic. Right. Um, Now, and he's got guys posted out front. So when the Nazis come running out, gagging with their handkerchiefs over their faces, oh, the stink, the stink. Right. um, they're gonna they're gonna walk right into a, a right hand. Oh. So, but what? but but right. something is going on in front of the building that Nan Arno did not anticipate. Uh oh. And that is that the the Jewish community of Newark is showing up in droves. <laughs> uh, Arno didn't bother to keep it a secret from his wife or, oh or it's his butcher. And, right. and and by by the by the time the fight starts, right, everybody in Newark knows that there's going to be a fight, and they all want to go and watch. And some of them are rolling up their sleeves. Oh, <laughs> give me! I want to get a punch in. <laughs> so, so the the fight the fight's going on, and it's, it's Longy's woman's walking back and forth. You know, I'm here, but I'm not here. <laughs> you don't see me. <laughs> Sorry. So. so the, the inside of the building now smells like a, a septic tank. Right. And the Germans are screaming, help, call the police, call the police. And the police, of course, obviously know what's going on because if everybody in the Jewish community knows, they know. the police know. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're standing back, kind of not, not paying much attention. <laughs> and, I don't see nothing. Right, right, right. So, oh, my God. They, uh, one, uh, one, one Nazi... Runs to the back of the building to, to stop the uh, the uh, onslaught of stink bombs. Right, and sticks his face to the window, and Nat Arno, who's standing on top of a ladder at the time, you know, pow! <laughs> <laughs> I don't want this man punching puts me. One, puts one right on his button. Right. Oh my so, god. Eh, anyway, um, Arno just feels vulnerable. He he because he's he's on a precarious perch. Yeah. So he he, he gets down. Runs out front, sees that there's there's quite a scene 
far more people than he expected. Right. Uh, he expected to see only the uh, the, the guys with the, the their faces darkened. Mm -hmm. Jaime the Weasel Kugel was there. <laughs> Putty, Putty Hinkus was there. And they got Louisville Sluggers, Nux Saps, and Crowbars. Oh, my they wrapped God. wrapped Crowbars in the Newark newspaper. Yeah. That's why you wrap the... I don't know. I, did, I, they, they, <laughs> I could pick... I guess you're less likely to kill somebody with it if it's got a layer of newsprint sure, over the eye. Let's go with know. that. Let's go with and that. And Putty Hinkus famously says, aim for the heads, boys. <laughs> so some aimed for the head. Right. Uh, but some also, there were also a lot of broken arms because they would hit the swastika. Swastika. Oh, no, that right. was where they would aim. So bones were broken, scalps peeled black, the cries of pain sounded oddly like the singing only seconds before. Right. <laughs> and, and, that's, and, of course, fights being what they are, some of the baritones suddenly became sopranos <laughs> because the heads and the shoulders weren't the only places they were being hit. Right. Now, now the, uh, the fight's not over, though. Mm -hmm. The gauntlet of tough Jews have stretched outside the front door and onto, into the street, and some Germans tried to fight back, but they were drunk, right. and their haymakers didn't oh. do have much effect. Yeah. Uh, at 9 p.m., you hear the first sirens of the police. Nobody runs away. <laughs> usually, usually in a street fight, when the police arrive, everybody scatters. Exactly. But everybody stays. Yeah. And the Nazis retreat for a moment, and then they do a smart thing. They they form a flying wedge, ah. which is a football. Play at the right. time that was outlawed in 1905 because it had resulted in 19 deaths. Oh my God! That's a hell of a guys of uh, football players being trampled to death during right. football games, and it was just forming a human chevron, and the guy with the ball would be in the middle of it. Right. And they, there was no way to stop them until they scored a touchdown. But it had been outlawed in football, but not necessarily in street fights. <laughs> and the, the Germans. Use this to get back into the building. Mm -hmm. Back uh, in the shop now. Hopefully it smells a little better. I don't know. <laughs> hopefully. Maybe a little breeze would have helped. Yes. Um, so, and, and, and Putty Hinkus, who, who is, whose story is, is the one we're telling, yeah. he remembered the night with great nostalgia. He remembered the way the Nazis were stampeded expertly by the stink bombs, uh, how they were sent gagging to a bottleneck and then into the lobby where the gangsters were waiting. Oh. And he recalled the beautiful sound of the Nazi screaming, and he and this is a quote, blue murder. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, one of my one of my favorite songs. Um, <laughs> blue murder. It was uh, and it was one of the happiest moments of his life. Oh my god. He always said. And That's hilarious. So while while the Germans retreated back into the building, the Jews did not follow, but they went up and down the street and they slashed all of the Germans' car. Oh. Cars. Right. They smashed all the headlights. And then the bus full pulls up right. with the New York Germans in oh, it. And God. they come out and find themselves pretty much the way it had been in Yorkville. <laughs> oh, the faces are different, but the punches feel matter. different. <laughs> <laughs> to drive and, all and, that way. And yeah. that was the fight at the Schwabenhall. Oh, my God. So they, the Nazis just can't get a break. 
Uh, <laughs> I, I don't right. know any other way to put that. I, I think you mentioned in the book that stink bombs and other things were used in, in several of these attacks. And yeah, so yes. it, it just drives your opponents into you know where you want them to be. So again, highly disciplined, organized. And if I can say, and you probably figured this out, the gangsters come across as charming, wonderful, however slightly less... Uh, virtuous heroes in this book. And I absolutely love that. Uh, and again, uh, I, we've only covered like half of the book because I want to leave the rest of the story to everybody else. Sure. But it is well, a, about yeah. the morality of having gangsters as heroes. Let me just offer yes, the please. dirty dozen defense. Okay. Which is that it doesn't make any difference how bad a group of people are. Right. As in the movie, the dirty dozen, mm -hmm. they're the heroes of the picture. Why? Because they fight Nazis. That's why. That's all. That's well, there's all, you can always find a badder guy if you're a bad guy, and then suddenly you're the good guy by comparison. And so that's exactly but, right. Yeah, I'm just again, I'm just trying to picture. And like you said, Judge Perlman, he, you know, he comes from the old country. He's seen a lot of things, and he's like, no, 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 we got to handle this, and I need someone who's comfortable working outside of the law, and of course, who, comfortable who, hurting people. Hurt. I think is is. is <laughs> Yes. Also a factor, yes. which he may not have enunciated aloud. Yes. But I think you said in your book, as far as I know, not one person was killed intentionally or at all by these at attacks. All. At so all by these attacks by the Jewish mob. They highly the, the, the riskiest thing was dropping the guy out the window. Right. And there was a, 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 one of the Jews was hurt in a fight when he from friendly fire. Oh, yeah. He got hit with a baseball bat from his own guy. And Zwillman paid for his medical bills right. and they brought him to the emergency room and they opened up his head to relieve the pressure and they left sponges in his head oh and Zwillman shows up and says, no, you're fired. You're fired. You're fired. <laughs> I'm bringing in my own doctors. Right. Take the sponges out of this guy's head and don't let him die. Oh my God. And yeah, yeah. He, the, the guy recovered, had a full recovery. And, uh, so yeah, the fatal casualties, zero. Right. He's, yeah, that guy, uh, American hero. And could I say, I've always wanted to be the guy to go, no, no, I'm bringing in my own doctors. I'm not there <laughs> right, yet. Right. I'm still working on it, but I've always wanted to be that guy. So again, we're going to, this comes out technically available April 26th, but obviously you can place your order now. But right. before, before I let you go, is there anything, again, we're leaving a lot of this uncovered, but is there anything else that you would like to throw out there that the people might want to know? Uh, yeah, I, I it would, it would be nice to say that the gangsters versus Nazis battles were um, important in the long run. Right. But it's a small compartment of history, and, and it, it's rendered moot by what follows. Mm -hmm. uh, everything ends at the point of Pearl Harbor. Right. Everyone's role changes. The Nazi leaders who had hidden behind the U.S. Constitution mm -hmm. were no longer protected by freedom of speech. It was wartime. They were committing sedition. They could uh -huh. be arrested. Uh, the Germans who attended the rallies were Americans, so they were drafted in the U.S. Army and sent to the Pacific wow. to fight in a theater in which their allegiance wouldn't be questioned. The Jewish men were drafted and or enlisted, uh -huh. fought in Europe. Nat Arno, the head of the of the Minutemen fighters in Newark, yes. He hit the beaches on D-Day and marched all the way to Berlin, uh, touring Europe the hard way. And he claims <laughs> that on a couple of occasions, right. 
he ran into German POWs being marched in the opposite direction that he recognized and who recognized him from street fights they'd had in Newark, New Jersey. That's incredible. Hey, buddy, I haven't seen you in a while. How's it going? You know, but but the last last couple of pages of your book, you you cover, oh, this is what happened to this person. This And so I loved that. But I have to say at the very, very end of the book, you have this very powerful message about... Events like this should be remembered. They shouldn't be forgotten. And if I could just go back to something you just said a second ago, yes, in the in the long term, it didn't really matter all that much because Pearl Harbor comes along and suddenly everything is quite clear for the vast majority of Americans. But, and I'm sure you feel this way as well, what those gangsters did, I don't know, because we didn't or couldn't do anything about the Holocaust at the time, they stepped up and they represented America at, at a dark point, and they are the heroes, and they're the ones who took on the bad guys before America was in the war. Freaking American heroes uh, yeah. is all I wanted to say. Yeah. <laughs> and and so, it's about time they had their legacy. Exactly. So, yeah, every, but everything worked out. Um, but I did want to say this, and I, I don't like to get political, but the stuff that in your book is pretty much going on today. So even though you have this message at the end about mm. let's not forget this, if we were to grab everybody from your book and bring them to today's America, I don't think they they would be too happy. They might be, whoa, we, we fought for this and now you're still dealing with it in America. Well, I, I, I'm not as pessimistic as you. Okay. I, uh, I, Hitler was defeated. Right. Good point. Um, the, the Holocaust happened and, and, and shocked the world enough so that Jew-Gentile relations largely improved. Oh, that unthinkable sacrifice. Right. Israel exists now. Mm-hmm. And Israel fights like hell whenever it's threatened. Absolutely. Um, which, would, which would appeal to them. Yes. There's still too much anti-Semitism in America, uh, but it is rarely militant. Right. Um, it's, and the Holocaust deniers, I think, would have... <laughs> Our boys cracking their right. knuckles. Right. I think those Repeat. guys might might yeah. have to start worrying about walking down the street. Who <laughs> uh, yeah. say who's to say that's a bad thing? You know, watch what you yeah, say, exactly. watch what you do, because if you know you're doing wrong, and you, yeah, you, you if, should. If know you're that. going around saying the Holocaust was a hoax, yeah. Uh, a broken nose for you, sir. <laughs> there's there's a certain couple of cities you might want to stay away from. Exactly. Uh, yeah. This one, the yeah. one I'm in right now. <laughs> exactly. Well, Mr. Benson, again, I we've only covered like 40% of this book, but I, I wanted to thank you for your time and thank you for this book. Uh, please, everybody, check it out. Again, it's, it's called, easy reading. It's not academic. It's, yeah, no, it, it flows. It literally does flow, and I consumed it in a couple of days. It's Gangsters versus Nazis, How Jewish Mobsters Battled Nazis in Wartime America. Mr. Benson, thank you very much for your time, and uh, I'm looking forward to reading the other 59 books that you've written. <laughs> you can over skip the years. essential bowling if you want. <laughs> I'll skip that one, but I'll save it till the end. Okay. <laughs> thank you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it.